Welcome to Uplifting Women podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Welcome to this episode of Uplifting Women. My name is Kristen Strunk and I'm here with my co-host, Holly Tesca. And we are thrilled to have with us today, Sarah Scala, who is going to be our guest and have some excellent conversation for us. Sarah is serving as a consultant, coach, and educator. Her experiential and high energy approach increases client revenue, reduces turnover, creates business value, and transforms performance of executive leaders and their teams, helping them reach their highest potential. She provides organization and leadership development, executive coaching, change management, public speaking facilitation, and team development solutions. She supports US-based and global clients across cultures, generations, geographies, and diverse industries. She has extensive experience working with organizations that strive to balance excellent performance in addition to supporting LBGTQ plus leaders. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kristen. We would love to hear about how you got started in this space and would love for you to tell us a little bit about your story. I would love to share. I have to go back to high school, which it's interesting because Holly and I were talking about high school before we started this. I grew up on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And as part of our physical education courses, we had an outdoor ropes course, high ropes, low ropes as part of our gym class. And so I participated in high school in that and just thought this was pretty cool. Team building. I'd like to do this as a grown-up, 17, 18 years old at the time. And I found out that I could pursue a bachelor's degree in adventure recreation. Now, my dad and mom are pretty smart people. And they said, I'm not going to send you off to college just to play in the woods. Why don't you also get a business degree? And so from the time I was 17 or 18 years old, I always wanted to help teams and corporate folks and their leaders do great things. So that was very early in my career. Later in my career, I ran a profit and loss business for the Kohler company. So I was the GM of the Kohler Experiential Learning Center, which is a profit and loss company that supports Fortune 500 and Kohler teams. So I was able to lead that business later in my career using experiential learning and leadership development. And during that time, I also picked up a master's in organization development and in adult learning. 
at Alverno College in Milwaukee. Since my time at Kohler, which was about 12 years ago, I've started my own consulting practice that's now almost 10 years old. And still today, I play less outside in the woods for work, but I'm really working with global leaders, national and US leaders on their effectiveness, on their emotional intelligence, on their leadership abilities to really drive change and have a positive culture and work environment. What a wonderful thing to recognize at age 17 or 18 that you could leverage something like that for team building or corporate development. What was it about those early experiences or even going into that as a major in school led you into the consulting aspect of what it is that you do? Yeah, so I think earlier in my career, I taught adventure education for a college university system in in Wisconsin, but I really wanted to be on the corporate side of the game. And so the opportunity at Kohler Company gave me a lot of experience with not only the facilitation and the design of interventions, of programs, of learning and development, but also a lot of lessons and awareness about how to successfully consult, run a business, manage profit and loss, manage direct reports, manage capital projects, and also risk for the business. So that was a pretty pivotal time in my career, in my late 20s and early 30s that I had in the Midwest. So when you think about all of the leaders that you have had an opportunity to interact with, and you think about some of the key takeaways that maybe you have been able to help them identify, what are some of the things that you see consistently in leaders that might help our listeners understand what they might look for in themselves? Great question. A lot of the leaders that I have coached or have had in my programs and workshops will tell me some of their biggest gains or take homes are an increased level of confidence and an increased level in interpersonal effectiveness. Sometimes that's tied to their emotional intelligence. Sometimes that's tied to executive presence. Sometimes it's just helping people to understand the importance of listening. But these interpersonal skills and competencies are what I'm most often told from clients has the biggest impact for them and for their careers. That's really interesting. I was speaking with some other colleagues a short time ago this morning and talking about just the simple value of relationships in business and how many, some people seem to be born with a natural gift to develop relationships and really have a good give and take, right? Because to me, the best relationships are where it's mutually satisfying. I'm doing something for you. You're doing something for me. And people just learn how some people do that so naturally. And then others are just very clumsy about it. And it is a skill that can be built. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And it's when I stop and think about if something goes wrong in a relationship, if you make a mistake, 
I like to think, I tell people I'm a bit of a Pollyanna. I like to think everybody has really good intentions. I'm sure there's a few people out there that don't. We won't get into politics, but things go wrong. And when you have a good relationship with someone that's built on lots of respect and trust, you can make a mistake and you can recover from that almost 100% of the time. If you don't have a solid relationship, that ability to rebound from that is very slim. I'd be curious. A lot of the pieces that I work on with people is just about being better in relationships. That's my coaching platform because I, that's the place where it all starts, isn't it? I couldn't agree more. And many of the executives and senior leaders that I work with, CEOs, especially around coaching, a lot of that time is spent on how to have more improved relationships, whether it's a small family-owned business and they're working on the succession, passing it from one family member to the other, or a Fortune 500 company that's trying to figure out all the shifts and changes that seem to be happening in our world just about every other minute. How can they stay true to themselves, stay authentic, but promote positive relationships, reciprocity, looking out for others, and having it be a safe, healthy, and happy workplace for sure. So where did those roots start for you personally? Start for me, shoot. I have to give some credit to my parents. My mom has been a nurse her entire career and folks that I find choose nursing or healthcare as their profession care about people. It's more than the lab tests and the shots and the procedures. It's a lot more about having strong interpersonal relationships and caring about other people. And so that was role modeled for me since I was a very young little kid. And I think for my dad, He's a building contractor. I worked for him for a number of years. And to see how he interacts with clients in a way that is so trustworthy, so respectful, and that has the absolute highest level of quality. And when issues come up, because they do sometimes when you're doing remodels or expensive pool houses or whatever the client wants, sometimes issues will come up that are totally out of his hands. And just the way that he's able to communicate and navigate those hurdles, I've watched that for over 40 years. So I have to say those as well. I'm also really fortunate that I have eight mentors. I have three through SCORE, which is the Society of Retired Executives, funded by the Small Business Association or by the U.S. government. And then I have five that are peer mentors, everything from mid-40s to 80s in all different industries. And having them as sounding boards, they're my pseudo board of directors where when things come up or there are challenges or hurdles, it's not a big deal for me to send out an email or schedule a call with my 
82-year-old mentor or my 60-year-old mentor or mentors that are my age as well, just to get an understanding from someone else's perspective to gain some support. And many of those folks who I'm fortunate to have as my mentors have been my mentors for quite a few years. So having that trusting relationship where they can call on me at any time, I can call on them, has been really pivotal in my career, especially the past decade of running my own company. Yeah, that is really powerful. I love that you've got such a wide range of ages in that mentor pool. I so believe in that sharing of knowledge cross-generationally. It's, it's Kristen has heard me say this before, and I'll bring it up again. It still takes 50 years to build a 50-year-old in terms of the amount of wisdom that one can manage to collect in a lifetime. It's the experiences that we encounter that help us to learn and grow and make decisions. So that is so wise to have such a broad age range in your group of mentors. I love that. Love it. Thank you. And I, to pay it forward, there are a number of professionals that are in my industry or out totally different that I have been mentoring for a while as well. Mm -hmm. Just take, that goes to your point, Holly, about reciprocity and relationships. And so I try to help others as well. Fantastic. And I think your parents' professions, those are some of the hardest professions. I, being a nurse, oh my gosh, When I'm sick, I'm probably like the worst patient in the world. And to have a nurse that takes good care of you and is empathetic and really cares and demonstrates that is amazing. And contractors, oh my gosh, God bless your dad. (laughs) We have never built a house because I'm pretty sure my husband and a general contractor would have daily fistfights if we ever did. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of patience for both of those professions. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. It seems to me, Sarah, just given your background and some of the things that you currently are focusing on, and I say currently not knowing if it's always been part of your business model to really reach out and support the LBGTQ plus community and allies. I'm curious how that has really entered into your model and the way that you operate and the folks that you do support? Yeah, great question, Kristen. And I am proud to share that I am a member of the LGBT community. My partner, Holly, and I live together in Boston, happily. And last year, I'm not sure if it was shifts in political leadership or just that chapter in my life, that I felt that it was important to come out as a business. So I've been out as an LGBT person for a number of years. However, I didn't put it on any of my marketing, any of my social, nothing. I just, I didn't say anything. Some of my clients knew, some of my clients didn't, but it became pretty clear to me early last year that the solutions and the services that I provide would also support LGBT leaders, executives, 
and employee resource groups in corporations and companies. And so step by step, little by little, I did a little more each month. And I went from maybe putting a rainbow on my LinkedIn profile in January, February to October being asked to speak at Out and Equal Global World Summit, which is the world's largest LGBT conference. So what a pivot in 10 months to go from a little nervous, putting little bites out and in little spits of my marketing to now I am speaking at the world's largest global conference. The work that I'm doing these days to support diversity and LGBTQ folks has been awesome. I feel like I'm operating at 100% I'm able to have a heightened level of empathy with my clients because we have this in common. And the feedback that I'm getting has been incredibly positive. Just this week, I'm with a client now. They are an ESOP, an employee-owned company, also a B Corp, meaning that they meet the requirements of being a betterment company, of looking out for people in the planet, triple bottom line. And they've had me as their consultant to launch their DEI council. So we are putting this into place for this smaller company in Vermont to help continue to make their workplace be inclusive. They're already like the top place to work in the state. So it's not like they have a ton of things that are broken that they need to fix. They simply want to keep doing better. And so we formed the committee two weeks ago and the memo is going out to the company next week to get others to, to sign up and be a part of the movement. So that's that was this week's big aha accomplishment that I'm super proud of. But I've also been working on projects with clients to speak for their pride events. So for those who don't know, the month of June is considered pride month, at least in the US, although I know in other parts of the world, and many companies are having pride events where they're educating and celebrating diversity, especially around LGBTQIA+. And so many major companies have booked workshops with me to be a facilitator. So I've just finished designing one on LGBT emotional intelligence. Last month, I did one on LGBT and diversity, psychological safety at work. When I was at the Out and Equal conference in October, it was on LGBT optimism, resilience, and grit, which I've been teaching for a long time, but it became an incredibly popular topic during the pandemic when businesses were trying to figure out which way was up. So in terms of the work that I'm doing LGBT-wise or with that focus, it's an honor to do the work. I'm proud of it. And I feel like it's really making a big difference. You know, you can and hear it in your voice, how you get excited and you kind of light up talking about it. So that's really great to see and to hear. I'm really interested in this concept around psychological safety at work and the LGBTQ plus community and how leaders in those spaces can help create the safety, as you put it, to make sure that those opportunities that they have to interact are really truly safe for people who are on their team. Absolutely. Great question. So I know McKinsey a couple of years ago did a study and they wanted to find out what were the biggest challenges for LGBT folks at work today. And some of the challenges that their study found were 
things like coming out publicly at work. I think in the United States, like two thirds of employees are not out at work. They're what's called covering, where they're pretending to be something that is not 100% themselves, or they're, or they're having discrimination. Microaggressions is a huge challenge, as well as feeling isolated. And so when we look at how can businesses and leaders help with those things, I think education is key. For sure. Some people don't even know what a microaggression is. Like, what does that even mean? Is that something I might be doing? So having people to understand that is critical. I think not stumbling on those microaggressions for sure. What leaders can do, I think, is to set a good public example. If they're comfortable using their pronouns, which I didn't in the beginning, but my pronouns are she, her, hers, Every meeting I have or every time I speak, I say that. Not to announce that I'm a member of LGBT per se, but to let everyone know it's safe. So by using appropriate pronouns, that's right away lets people know it is safe. Other things that businesses and employers can do is they can take a look at their policies and what's going on in their companies. Are there bathrooms that are for gender non-conforming people? Are there similar or identical health benefits? Are there specific health insurance coverages, for example, for folks who are trans that need different medical procedures than you and I might need? So are those needs of folks in the LGBT community being covered? So I think education is key showing support and using pronouns and watching our microaggressions. We're going to slip up and make mistakes sometimes. If we are aggressively miscalling people by the wrong pronoun in Canada, the country, that is considered a human rights violation as of October. That's a big deal. Not it in the United States yet. But that's a huge deal. And it's so important to help people feel heard, seen, and included. So those are a few of the examples that I can share. That's wonderful. You said something earlier about creating a movement. And that's what I feel from you. To start bringing in, coming out, as you describe it, in your business last year, seeing that there was an opportunity to, to do that and having the courage to step into it fully. I just love that. You're taking some of the horrible things that happened in 2020, the George Floyd murder. The environment is ripe for this kind of dialogue right now and is very open and receptive to hearing more, learning more, educating ourselves and I just love the idea that you are creating a movement. You're yeah. doing it. Thank you. <laughs> or supporting one that's already happened. I certainly can't take full credit for the LGBT movement, but I'm really happy to be a spokesperson at these conferences and a partner of many of my clients, whether I'm coaching. So part of my practice is that I have an exclusive part that's exclusively for LGBT coaching or working with these employee resource groups, in addition to everyone else in the world. But those specialties are really important to me. Yeah, as they should be. Thanks. Congratulations. Thanks.
Question, you're on mute. We're gonna get it one of these days. You would think this was my first time. So when you're thinking about leaders who are considering coming out at work or sharing with their teams or having that experience, what are some of the things that you advise them to do or to think about in doing that in the culture that they're in and the environment that they're in? How does that translate for you? Great question, Kristen. One of the first questions that I ask, especially new executive coaching clients that say, here's the world that's happening for me as an executive. Oh yeah, and here's this other layer as being LGBT and being in the closet or not being 100% out with everybody. Is we talk a lot about safety. How safe is it for you? Or how safe do you feel about being out at work? How safe is it? Is it a culture where you it would be not a big deal, fully accepted, fully supported? Or is it a culture where you would feel threatened and in danger? If ever a client feels like it's a threat for them and it's not safe, I definitely do not suggest that they come out unless that's really what they want to do. We all want to feel safe and that we can be ourselves at work. And sometimes historically, there, are, there have been costs. I like to think many great companies are making it even easier to be out. But I think one thing that folks that are heterosexual or cisgender don't realize is that when someone comes out, at work, it's not that the entire, they're on the stage and the entire company is in the audience and they show up and say, hi, my name is Joe. I am bisexual, trans, gay. They have to come out almost every single day. And that can be exhausting. So I like for people when I do a lot of work with LGBT and allies to realize that Coming out may seem really simple, but every single time a person comes out and again and again at work or in public, they're thinking about their sense of safety. Is it going to be okay before they do it? So there's always that pre-thought that goes into it. So I don't know about you folks, but if you can imagine, let's say you have kids and every day you have to come out and say you have a son or a daughter, but it might not be received well that you have a son or a daughter and you have to think about it. And all the energy that goes into that can be really, really exhausting for the leader. And so I think it's important for organizations and employees, as well as allies to realize it's never a one and done. It's never a one and done. And even today with some of my clients where I feel it's less safe, I may not talk about it or I may not give my pronouns. Most of my clients are exceptional. I feel fine these days, but years ago, it wasn't always the case. So when you are thinking about the experiences of allies in this particular space. So we talked a little bit about what leaders might be able to do to support. When we use the word ally, I know that sometimes we use it very generically. Some of us who have not had these life experiences really want to support and we want to do everything that we can do or want to do or people will let us do as allies. 
but what advice do you have for people who want to step in and really fill that space in a meaningful way? Yeah, it's interesting that you ask this because the workshop that I built yesterday for my client on LGBT emotional intelligence, part of their workshop is tips for being an ally. And so I can share a few ideas. This is from University of California, Davis. And they say a few ways to think about Recognize that them being LGBT is just one layer of who they are in their life. It's not 100% all of their time and all of their effort. And they have some different parts of their identity. As you and I both do, we have different ages and races and genders. And we're, we come up from different classes or different socioeconomic status. And so the intersectionality of all of those pieces as an ally, I think is pretty important. Also, another suggestion is to be a good listener and not just listening so you can respond and getting ready for what you're going to share back. That I call level one listening, but really listening at a deeper level so you can pay attention to both what's being said and what might not be be said. If you are cisgender, recognize that you have privilege. You just do because you're the majority. And so thinking about how you can use that privilege and that role to make a difference is pretty important. And it can be simple as standing up for someone that might be being bullied, using people's appropriate pronouns, even though at first it might seem awkward or strange or something that you might forget about. I think is pretty important. And also as an ally, especially if you are a cisgendered person and cisgendered for those who don't know simply mean being or behaving in a way that represents the gender that you have that you are born with looking at how you can use that privilege and you know you're not joking or making fun of people that are lgbt i think sends a huge message as well another tip especially for those folks who are gender non-conforming or are trans is to not ask them a lot of personal questions. Like, when are you going to have that surgery? Have you had that surgery? Be quite honest. It's unprofessional. It's extremely rude. And it's really not sensitive or thoughtful. That's like people asking us, about our visits with the OBGYN or our gynecologist. We're protected by HIPAA, but I think sometimes people forget and maybe out of curiosity, they're trying to relate, but don't ever ask. If people want to tell you, they certainly will. Those are great pointers and reminders for those of us who want to make sure that we're behaving in a way that's consistent with the way that we think of ourselves, right? Outwardly and inwardly. And I think about that transition into leadership for people who are specifically in the LBGTQ plus community. And have you ever had the opportunity to sit with someone who might even say, I don't know that I want to be a leader or this environment doesn't feel like I want to be a part of this. What have your conversations been around people who don't necessarily feel that safety and how does it impact their career growth? Great question. So at the end of the day, when people have to cover or hide or stay in the closet, which is a phrase many LG, when we think about LGBT people, we think, are they in the closet? Are they out of the closet? 
it takes an enormous amount of energy. And so if the person doesn't want to step up into leadership because they're afraid of their safety, I think that's a different story than if they're afraid of maybe their level of confidence or others' perceptions. So I think safety is an interesting measure to take a look at because we can't always fix or improve someone's feeling of safety because psychological safety, as the model has been written and designed by Dr. Amy Edmondson at Harvard, it's about the team. So what are the members of the people that the members of this person's group or the people that closely surrounds this leader, what is their behaviors that show the person that they'll be supported, they'll be included, and also that they'll be safe. So you asked about how would that impact their career? It could definitely hold them back in their career because if they didn't have this part of who they are, as something that was making them feel less comfortable with being themselves, they very well may want to take higher levels of leadership or higher levels on a team. But I think fear is an interesting thing when it comes to leaders, especially about something that is so intimate and personal, like their sexual orientation, their gender identity, and those pieces. I'm not sure if I've answered your question or if I've just swam around it, but I made an effort. I, so it also begs the question of being really clear in your own mind about where you're going to feel safe. And if you are in an organization where that say psychological safety doesn't exist, you probably need to be courageous enough to go and find a different scenario. So are there any specific tips you give people who might be looking to make a change to a place that is more psychologically safe and accepting of that, their lifestyle and open? How does a person go about finding that out about an organization? So that's an awesome question, Holly. The human rights campaign has an assessment or an index called the Corporate Equality Index. It's been around for a number of years. Many major companies will go through the assessment process to see what their rating is in terms of being inclusive, safe, diverse, etc. Those businesses that score 100% on that assessment are highly recognized. Those businesses that do not are given a clear roadmap for how to improve areas of their organization and their culture to better support. So if there was an executive or a leader who felt that they had to leave their current employer because it was not a safe environment, was not a safe culture, the first place, and not the only, but definitely a good starting point, would be to look at what businesses are on the human rights campaign as having scored 100%. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but it means that they're aware, they're putting effort into inclusion, belonging, safety, and I think that might be the best place to start. I know in other chapters of my career, 12 or so years ago, when I thought about going internal before I started my own company, that was a resource that I tapped into 
to check things out. And many businesses that score well on that have it all over their website, all over their careers page and information that potential job seekers can see and can find. So that would be the first resource that I would suggest for sure. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Sarah, I really have to say that I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you so much for being part of this ongoing conversation about uplifting women and underrepresented people in the workplace and in communities overall. I would be curious though, you said that you had not made the determination to come out as a business uh, until the last year or so. So I'm curious if you have any sort of thought about whether you wish you would have done that sooner or if it was a, the intersection of a specific time and a specific situation that made you do that. Thanks for asking that, Kristen. I think the beginning of last year felt right. I think before that, I was out to many of my clients that it felt safe. Again, some of the things we've already talked about, taking the pulse check on the organization, many organizations I was not. But the more out I put myself and my business, the more work that I'm getting that supports folks who are either allies or are LGBT or who want to build and improve culture and environment of support for everybody who may be a little different from them. So I think the timing, although it was a little nerve wracking last year, do I do it? Do I not do it? I'm really proud and quite happy that I have. That's wonderful. One of the things that we ask all of our guests is what is some advice that you would give your 20 or 25 year old self if you had to go back and look at that? 20 to 25 year old, geez. So at that point, when I'm 25, I'm working in Kohler, Wisconsin at a financial institution. Then I transitioned a few years later to the Kohler company. Uh, I think I would tell myself, learn as much as you can, gain as much as you can, nothing, you're not going to do anything forever, but boy, you can gain some real life lessons from each experience that you have, whether it's exceptional or not so much, give what you can and learn what you can. I think that's fantastic advice, probably not just for you, but for a lot of us. So thank you very much. So if our listeners are looking for you, what is the best place that they can find you? The best place that I can be found is on my website at sarahscala.com. I think it's probably going to be in the show notes. In addition to LinkedIn, where I share a blog or a post, usually twice a week. And I also have a newsletter that comes out once a month where I'm sharing articles that I've written and ideas and video clips of speaking about leadership, optimism, inclusion, and positivity. All very important topics for us. Thank you so much for being with us today, Sarah. It has been a very enlightening conversation. I really appreciate your openness and willingness to share tips with our listeners. Thank you both. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to uplifting women and look forward to you joining them again soon. 
This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you. Please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.